The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum listeners and welcome to the future show. Today I bring on a different topic of conversation, a topic which will greatly impact parents and young people listening. With the current GCSE and A-level exams coming to an end, our young people are often left anxious about what their future holds. When I speak to young students on a day-to-day basis, I often hear, safe, I don't know what to do with my life. Safe, I don't know if I've done well in my exams. My parents expect me to get A's and A-stars, but I don't think I've done well at all. I don't think I'm going to get accepted into college. I don't think I'm going to get accepted into university on a day-to-day basis. We can see that our young people are often facing this form of uncertainty and they fear the ever-changing future. So to ease this transition, I present to you a question that myself and our amazing guests will answer in the first half of the show today. The question is, how do you, as a young student, react to an ever-changing, ever-developing academic environment? How do you maximize your potential during the transition from year 10 going into year 11, from year 11, going into college, from college, going to universities, apprenticeships, or anything that you want to do with your life. But before going into the show, I would just like to introduce myself and our guests to the listeners. My name is Saif Ali, and I'm currently studying at UCL, going into my second year to study politics and economics. Whilst balancing my education, I've been very fortunate enough to have founded my own educational organization named TutorBook. At TutorBook, we work with hundreds of students, numerous organisations and institutions all over the UK to deliver academic sessions and workshops to to the young people. So at a time like this, we know best and we are fully aware of how anxious these young people are. On a day-to-day basis, we receive messages from students asking us advice on their future. And that is exactly why we wanted to bring on the show and give our best advice from the best guests and from the best mentors in the field to these young students. With me, I have two of our amazing guests today, Hamza and Zakias. Hamza is currently studying in his second year of UCL. Hamza is currently doing chemistry. He's been working alongside myself over the last few months in delivering these academic sessions and workshops to the young people in Luton. Hamza is also very passionate about exploring the world of finance after he graduates next year. Next, we have Zakias Mahmood, a very relatable personality, someone who went from having an extremely rough high school experience, being kicked out of his high school, to then ending up at a top 10 global university. Today, Zaki brings on his perspective on balancing his studies, being a STEM ambassador, and also about how he founded a project called Innovate. So to begin, I'm going to direct my first question to yourself, Hamza. Hamza, can you tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, and your academic journey so far? So uh, my name is Hamza. I'm a second year student at UCL. So I've just finished my second year studying chemistry. And my route was sort of the typical route that you'd expect of a student going from GCSEs to A-levels to university. Um, I feel like back back when I was studying my GCSEs, I never really found um, anything too challenging. Uh, I was really sort of thriving in an academic environment. I really enjoyed learning the subjects um, and I sort of leaned towards the STEM subjects. So Alhamdulillah, I got good grades at GCSEs. And when I went on to study at A-level, I decided to study maths, chemistry and economics. Um, I chose maths and chemistry mostly because you know I really enjoyed STEM subjects. Uh, I really thrived in them as well. I felt that maths and chemistry go hand in hand because obviously on the one side you have just pure maths and on the other side you have a science, um, a really quality, qualitative science um, that's, that's really maths based. And I also wanted to add economics to that mix because I really wanted to diversify my options, choose an essay based subject where I could also tie in the financial mathematics aspect of it. And um, I feel like that that sort of combination of subjects would really then help me um, prepare for university and, and choose what I want to study at university and also choose what I wanted to do uh, in, in my career going forward. That's amazing, Amza. And honestly, seeing your journey so far from year 11 all the way up to UCL and witnessing it firsthand, I have to say I'm very proud of you. And I'm sure the listeners who are listening right now are very intrigued into what exactly you're studying at UCL as well and what you do for your modules. So my next question is for yourself, Zaki. Your road to UCL has been quite a unique and a bumpy ride, a very relatable to the average student, let's just say. A tough ride from high school, 
ending up at UCL. Um, Zaki, tell us a bit about yourself and your journey. I'd say it has been a fun one, I can't lie. Uh, so I just finished my second year at UCO. I'm going into my final one, studying Triple E, which is um, electrical, electronic engineering. But getting to UCO was a bit of a roller coaster for me since I was um, excluded from high school. Um, I was rejected from all local colleges, so I couldn't do any A-levels at the local sixth form. Uh, but turning this negative into a positive, um, I was given the opportunity to do a VTech in engineering at Bedford in Bedford College. Uh, my first year was uh, general engineering, which involved electrical, electronics, a uh, bit of mechanical, a bit of robotics, bit of, bit of everything in engineering in general. And then in my second year, we had to choose between um, a pathway and because I really enjoyed uh, the practical side of uh, electronics, um, I decided to go, go towards uh, Triple E. Um, throughout my second year, um, I, I was doing uh, quite a bit of um, extracurricular projects with uh, one of my tutors. And um, he actually made me go through a phase where um, I experienced a mindset shift and um, he pushed me towards applying to university. And um, uh, I went with it. I uh, went with, with, with my UCAS application and initially I did get rejected from UCL as well. Uh, that was on the basis of uh, my target grades, but I kept in touch with the course manager and uh, he directed me towards uh, doing a science foundation degree. Uh, that was at Queen Mary University, which was a year long, um, basically covered all the A-level content that the BTEC didn't. And um, now looking back, I'd say it was worth it. Um, because uh, it covered the mathematical theories and uh, principles that the BTEC didn't. And it helped me a lot um, in my first and, and in my second year at UCO. And then from there, I trans transferred from uh, the foundation programme and made it to UCO. Wow, what an amazing ride, Zaki. Um, I'm sure the listeners right now, a lot of them are probably seeking encouragement from what you have just said. It's, it's very unpopular that you hear someone being excluded from high school to then ending up at such a you know, top university. So well done for that. Um, I actually have a follow up question for yourself, Zaki. Um, you mentioned, of course, your mindset shift. I'm assuming you weren't the same person when you were, you know, in year 10, year 11, that to, to what you are at the moment, you know, being in your second year, going into your third year, and also have founded your own sort of tech startup called Innovec. I'm sure there's, there's, a, there's a huge change that we see in your mindset, in just the way you, you apply things in your daily life. So what led to that change? What was it? Um, I'd say if you were to ask me the same question about five years ago I'd probably say that I wouldn't couldn't see myself um at a university uh primarily because of the environment that I was in I was quite doubtful made me feel doubtful that I'd, would I would I would I would I would I make it to university let alone UCL but when I got onto my BTEC at college um I just really enjoyed the subject like being practical doing what I enjoyed doing, not forced in learning a subject that I don't want to learn and um, doing a lot of extracurricular projects with my tutor. Uh, I did go on to make an online platform called Innovec where I share my projects and um, I thought thought to myself in my final year that I really enjoyed this, the subjects. Let me just take my chances and um, study at university level so that's what kind of led me into applying to UCAS the mindset shift actually came to me like in my second year where, where I did have to um, choose between whether doing apprenticeships going to university or going into full-time work wow that's very interesting Zaki have you heard of something called the doubt theory uh, no I haven't actually so it's interesting you mentioned doubt earlier that's why I'm bringing this point up so essentially the doubt theory is basically when someone intentionally or unintentionally places a doubt in your head regarding your ability so let's say for, for example if a task is something that you can do very easily uh, if I place a doubt in your head it's something which becomes undoable and it becomes a great challenge so I remember learning about this exact theory I'm just gonna just gonna tell you guys a little bit of a story it's quite interesting that you've you know our topics link together so I remember learning about this sort of doubt theory about two years ago, and I didn't quite understand, you know, what it really was. So I decided I'm going to sit down and I'm going to apply this doubt theory in my own sort of educational life. So I was in a classroom with about six students online and I put up an activity for these students to complete. And I remember it was a GCSE math class, to be specific. And um, 
within this starter activity, I asked one of the students, his name was Hassan, and I asked him to mute me and just get started with the activity. The other five, I told them to now listen to what I'm about to say. So Hassan had me muted the whole time. Hassan was just carrying on with his activity. The other five, I started off by saying, um, you know, this question that we are doing right now is a very difficult question. Every single person that I've done this question with, no one has got it right. So you know what, if you guys can give it a go, if you can just try your best, maybe attain one marks out of five, you'll be in a good place. It's a very difficult question. I don't think you guys are going to be able to do this. So what can you what can you imagine happen next? <laughs> so I let them work on it for about five, 10 minutes without even looking at the question. Most of these students just said to me initially that I don't want to do it or oh, sir, it's too hard. I don't want to even attempt it. Or even if they did do it, a couple of them did it. They did it half heartedly. So after about five, 10 minutes, I asked them again, who has an answer for me? And as you guys can probably get the idea now, no one out of those five got the answer. So I put up a message on the chat and I said to Hassan, Hassan, you can unmute me now and let me see if you have got the answer. And as you guys can probably guess, Hassan was the only student out of those six students who had the answer. So here you see basically that when doubts are placed into your head regarding, you know, your ability, regarding transitioning from an environment, from an academic environment into a new one, um, you know, it can really hold you back. So my advice to, to before I ask you guys your questions, my advice to all the young listeners out there, all the young listeners currently, if you are facing these doubts or uncertainties about your future, maybe take a step back and try to map out where you want to see yourself. And if the problem that you're looking at is really such a big problem, oftentimes, you know, we make, we make a big deal out of the problems, but most of the time, you know, the problem can be broken down into smaller chunks with practical steps that you can take. And the same thing applies to your new academic environment. Maybe spend some time on yourself and, and ask yourself, what are some of the skills that you need to transition well into your new academic environment? So I hope you guys uh, found that little story interesting. Uh, and it perfectly leads me on to my next question to Hamza. Hamza, can you give us an example of where you had to develop yourself into a new academic environment? Something that, you know, the young listeners can also relate to and apply. Sure. So I think when we talk about new academic environments, everyone sort of focuses from the, the jump from GCSEs to A-level or from A-level to university because they see it as a new academic environment, going into college, going into university. But I really want to focus on, on my own experience from going from first year uh, studying A-levels to my second year studying A-levels, as that's why I found um, I had to develop myself the most, because that's why I sort of saw the, the massive change in mindset from you know, being a 16, 17-year-old kid just, just learning in school um, to then going on to, being, to turning 18, uh, thinking about, applying to university, thinking about your future, you know, being aware of predicted grades, um, being aware of your performance in mock exams, because I know that that gets really stressful for second year students. And also for those going into medicine and dentistry, sort of building experience um, uh, for applying for university, or even those who are not even applying for university, building experience um, in, the, in, the career that, in the career path that they choose. So that's the massive change in mindset that I saw. And um, also, I think everyone's sort of aware of in the increasing independence that you have when you're studying A-levels. You have no one sort of chasing after you, no one telling you what to do, no one telling you um, when to hand in your work or even to do your work. And that really increases at university as well. So I found it uh, difficult and I took it upon myself to sort of take action and, and take practical steps uh, in order to develop myself and and really give myself the upper hand when it came to, to studying in this, in this new academic environment. So for myself, I took some practical steps and I wanna share four of them with you today. Uh, so the first one that really helped me uh, is doing my own research, sort of not just going into my future blindly, not just taking it day by day studying, but actually doing my research, searching what I want to study uh, at university when it came to applying you know, what do I want to study? Where do I want to study? Where do I want to spend the next couple of years studying? And, and what do I want that to lead myself going into? Um, and I think doing my own research, that really helped me because uh, I attended some careers programs when I was in my second year. I sort of thought about what I'm studying, what do I enjoy studying? And doing my research really helped me uh, prepare myself. 
And I think also on top of that, my second uh, piece of advice is setting your own routine. Um, so creating a set routine, and that will help you build dis discipline. And it will also help you manage the increasing workload that you find when you go from first year A-levels to second year A-levels. Uh, I think everyone's sort of aware of, of the increasing workload. You find, you find that your work becomes more complex. You find that you, you have more work. You find that you'll have more exams, uh, more mock exams, and sort of you have to take it more seriously. I think it's the biggest jump that for a 16, 17, 18-year-old, it's the biggest jump in, in academics that, that you've ever experienced. Um, so creating a, a set routine where you set your own study hours, set your own um, sort of learning hours, and also setting break times and rest times, uh, that will help you build discipline and help you manage your workload. And that leads me on to my next point. It will help you cut out distractions. Uh, so cutting out distractions is my third piece of advice. And I know it sounds quite boring, but prioritizing your future, especially at that age, um, obviously it, it, it goes without saying, you know, prioritize, prioritizing your future, you'll set yourself up nicely in the future. And also you'll be aware of, of the free time that you have. Once you prioritize your future, once you take the time to sort of think about what you want to do, um, think about studying and managing that workload, you'll find you have a lot of free time uh, in, in the present. And you'll find that you have a lot of free time, um, especially when you, when, especially compared to when you get older, you'll feel that that free time sort of gets less and less. So definitely setting a routine and cutting out distractions will then help you make more free time. And again, that leads me nicely onto my fourth point, uh, which is sort of an extra point, but building healthy habits. Um, you know, in that free time, don't just watch Netflix, watch movies, watch TV or, uh, or do anything, you know, which is just relaxing. Obviously you can do that, but try and build healthy habits, you know, taking up a sport, going to the gym, reading something, reading articles, books, uh, and my personal favorite one, just taking up any extracurriculars because that will really help you when it comes to applying to university, when it comes to applying for jobs. You know, you can just show that you're not just someone who's purely focused on academics, purely focused on work. There's more to you, you know, as you peel back the layers. I've completed this. I've completed that in extracurriculars. Um, and I feel like and I feel like that really helps you and that applying these four practical steps. Uh, especially when you go from your first year to your second year, that will set you up nicely from then going on to your second year A-level to university. Lovely, Amza. That was very, very insightful. I'm sure the way you broke down all of those steps into four practical uh, examples that students can apply in their lives going into second year, you know, it's amazing. And I'm sure a lot of students will really benefit from that. Actually, what you said about going from first year, going into second year, I can 100% agree with you because at the end of my first year and to all the listeners out there as well, I went on a long holiday at the end of my first year of college and I thought that going into uh, my second year, I'm just going to have a nice chill time. Uh, and then came September, and I had so much workload on myself. All of my three subjects just went from being half A-levels to, to, to me having to complete past papers every week, for me having to, to complete uh, a work, you know, in, in terms of my content. It was the content itself just doubled for me. So I can 100% relate to you on that, Hamza, and I'm sure the viewers can as well. And that leads me on to my next question, which is to yourself, Zaki. What's one piece of advice, Zaki, that you would give to someone who is about to make the academic transition? Um, there's actually two points I'd like to make on that, and they both tie in together. The first would be um, to do what you enjoy, choose a subject that you would be passionate about uh, studying, because only then you'll end up being motivated to give it your best shot at the best of your ability without feeling a burden uh, every morning waking up that you have to study something just for the sake of, uh, a qualification at the end of it and no matter what don't let anyone tell you that you're not capable of doing something until you've tried yourself uh, the second point I'd like to make is um, uh, to, to have a vision and a plan of your next steps where you see yourself going what route you want to take but at the same time keep your options open uh, have a range of backup plans available to yourself because um the way life works is you, your first choice might may not always go as planned and from someone that's been uh, rejected from numerous different places um, 
the best thing I'd say to you is to have a backup plan, whether it's with UCAS, um, whether it's with apprenticeships or even full-time work. Um, that, that, that's the best advice that I'd probably give someone uh, making an academic change. Perfect. Now, my next question is to yourself, Hamza. Um, we all belong from Luton. Everyone who's listening to us most likely will probably be a fellow Lutonian. So my question to you is, Hamza, do you think originating from Luton provides you with any form of advantage or disadvantage when you tran- uh, transition into your university or your future careers? Definitely. I think I think there's loads of advantages coming from Luton. Um, a, a, a major one, I'd say, is the, the strong community support we have in Luton. Um, I feel that everyone sort of helps each other when, when we... When we say that we're, you know, transitioning into university and careers, everyone helps each other in the community. We have strong community backing. We have, um, obviously, loads of different groups. Uh, we have the community to help us. Uh, also, personally, for myself, I felt like the network and alumni at Luton Sixth Form College, you know, what I what I went, that network and alumni really helps, and they will help you with whatever you're doing. So, you know, even for myself, when I was interviewing at different universities um for my for my degree i reached out to the network and i reached out to certain alumni at luton six from college and i reached out to a particular guy who went on to study medicine at cambridge and he helped me prepare for my interview uh, at university and that really is just an example of how you know everyone will help each other and you know, we have such a strong community support and we should really be grateful for that in Luton. Uh, I think on top of that, uh, really in the last 10 years, last five, 10 years, we've seen um, an improvement of the level and quality of education, uh, especially with things like, you know, the Shared Learning Trust. We've seen uh, improvements in the quality of education in Luton. And that really helps uh, when when it comes to applying to top universities. Um, You know, we see more and more Lutonians going to top universities. and, And I think that's, uh, a major advantage for us um, and lastly I think even geographically you know we should be grateful that we're in such a such a location that you know we're only a short tra- train ride away from such a, a a busy business and and financial a major district um, in London and we have access to global institutions you know like you said the three of us are at UCL uh, a top 10 university um, so we should be grateful that we are so close to London for for these opportunities and for these these uh, global institutions and then I think when we come on to talking about disadvantages we I'd rather look at them as areas of improvement rather than disadvantages Uh, I think there are definitely areas of improvement in Luton Um, I think we need to do more in terms of just teaching life skills and office culture and, and things like that because especially you know when you when you go outside of Luton even myself when I when I went to university and I compared the young people from Luton to the young people from other walks of life, from different places. I can see that they've been taught from young uh, and they've been well prepared on, on life skills, on how to communicate with people from other cultures, on how to work in the office, on real world skills. And I feel like at, um, sorry, in Luton, especially for you know, first generation and sec- second generation kids, we haven't really been taught that and we haven't really had someone to look up to. Uh, and this is where I think we need to bridge that gap uh, with with mentoring and career coaching. So that's where I, I myself personally have been working, obviously, with TutorBook to provide mentoring and, and, and tutoring to students across the UK. I've also worked with external organizations in London to provide sort of career coaching for 15 to 18 year olds. Um, and I feel like that has really shown me the importance of mentoring. And we really need to bring that to Luton. You know, we need someone to to look up to. I think the youth need someone to look up to who can give specific advice for what whatever they want to get into um, and always and to show ways to improve. And I feel like even encouraging stuff like youth projects and giving more opportunities to take part in community initiatives. Obviously, um, I, me and you, Safe, we both worked uh, with Connect for Causes and that sort of that sort of has helped um, encourage youth projects uh, for the youth in, in Luton, and I feel like that will that will uh, help teach life skills and help teach real world skills that can then be applicable um, outside uh, once once people grow up and actually go outside of Luton to work in London or to go to university across the UK. 
Thank you so much, Hamza and Zaki. You guys have provided us with some amazing insights into your experiences in education. I'm sure that all the viewers who are listening right now, all the listeners who have been tuning in right from the start of this show, there's a lot that we can all take in from your academic journeys, from you know having rough high school experiences to now being at the top universities. It's really, really something that you guys should be proud of. And this is what I think Luton needs anyway. Luton needs people like yourself, aspiring young adults who are aiming for the very best, hoping to make a change. And given the title of our show today, education is the way forward in our town. And you guys are prime examples of that. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in into the first half of the show. And no, I am not done yet. We'll be back again from a short break into the next half of the show, where we'll have Aman and Jaid provide us with their insights into some unconventional academic routes. These unconventional ac academic routes are alternatives to what students can take. Aman will provide us with his journey into EY, studying apprenticeships, and Jaid will provide us with his journey into UCFB. Do not go anywhere. We will see you in the next half. Asalaamu Alaikum. Asalaamu Alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum listeners and welcome back to the future show. Earlier on we had Hamza and Zaki provide us with some amazing insights into transitioning from colleges to university, from high schools into college and just give us general advice on how you can develop yourself as a young student and ease this transition. In this half of the show, however, we will explore the unconventional academic pathways that students can potentially take. Oftentimes, or especially from what I've noticed, there's a huge amount of pressure on students from their parents, from their families, in, on entering you know, the top universities in the country, on entering Russell Group universities, the top 10 universities. You know, mum's telling you to get into Cambridge, dad is telling you that I'm gonna kick you out of the house if you don't get into Oxford, uncle's telling you I won't speak to you if you don't get into UCL or Imperial. With all of this comes a lot of pressure. And today we're going to try and break down the barriers when it comes to uh, future academic pathways. Today with me, I have two very successful guests, very successful young guests in their respective fields who are going to tell us alternative pathways in careers and education. So I have with me my dear friends, Aman Baig and Jaid Udin. Aman Baig is a former Luton Sixth Form student and he is currently coming to the end of his second year undertaking an apprenticeship at the Big Four professional services firm EY. He also plays a role advocating for apprenticeships externally for his office, regularly visiting local schools, local colleges, where he shares his insights as a young apprentice in the corporate world. Jaid Udin is also a, a Luton Sixth Form former student and he has just finished his second year at U. UCFB. Jayad is currently studying multimedia sports journalism, where majority of his networking happens in the broadcasting side of his area. So as you guys can probably see from the question of this half of the show, the unconventional academic pathways, my first question is directed to you, Aman. Can you tell us about apprenticeships? Can you tell us about this route? What was it like when you transitioned from college into this role? And just generally, the average person who does not know what a apprenticeship is, can you explain it to us? Can you break it down for us, please? Yeah, no problem, bro. Firstly, thank you for having me on. Uh, so it's obviously brilliant to to be on such a such a beneficial show. Um, so firstly, with my route, uh, my route has got a bit of a story to it. So I, I'll start from the beginning to give all the listeners some context. My route started when I was in first year of college. Um, I was coming out my math class one time and I was walking through the corridor and I saw my economics teacher and she said to me, Aman, you need to be in that room. I looked in that room and there was a bunch of people that I didn't know and one guy wearing a suit and a tie and she said, oh, EY are in that room who I'd never heard of. Oh, you, she said to me, have, have you heard of the big four? I said, no, nah, not really. I didn't want to really go on. I wanted to go chill with my friends. And she said to me, Aman, you need to go in there. And she meant, obviously, it meant if you don't go in there, there'll be consequences. So I went in there. And then they were talking about internships. And I was sort of dozing off. And then I heard something about a paid internship. I was like, whoa, I woke up then and uh, paid attention and applied for this paid internship over the summer where I spent three weeks. Um, at EY, where we were doing lots of workshops. I spent time 
uh, in a corporate environment. We went to client sites, um, high-profile clients, in fact, uh, got to meet with senior personnel within the firm and looked around and thought, you know what, this, this is a bit of me. I, I like this sort of stuff. Why, why not? you know, pursue this further. So going into my second year, they dropped me an email saying, look, we've got these apprenticeships. We'd love for you to apply. So as normal, I applied for the uh, applied for universities like everyone else. So I also applied for this apprenticeship. It's the only apprenticeship I applied for in the end. Um, so then I applied for the apprenticeship, went through the application process. And then around April, May time, they said to us, uh, they said to me, you know, you've been given the place. Amazing. But obviously COVID had kicked in, as you all know. And we didn't actually get to see our exams and it was a conditional offer. And then on results day, I didn't really get the, the grades I needed for my university places. So everything was sitting on, on, on this, this place at my apprenticeship. And, uh, you know, praise be to Allah that I, I was given the place regardless of my, of my grades. And, and now I'm at EY. So, yeah, you could say I accidentally got to know EY after worrying, walking through that corridor and my economics teacher forcing me to go, go into that room. MashaAllah, that's amazing, Iman. And it's really great to see, you know, as a friend, it's really great to see how far you've come and uh, how, how your mindset has changed as well over the last few years. I'm sure the listeners who are listening right now, they will get some form of encouragement to apply to apprenticeships. And no, university is not always the route out. Apprenticeships are also a great option to explore, you know, for your careers. Uh, my next question, is to yourself, Jaid. Can you tell us what you do and why you picked this route? Okay, so it's a funny story. Like, um, my university, if you guys don't know, is actually called UCFB and it stands for University Campus of Football Business. And when I first found out about them, my eyes just lit up. Like, the way it was delivered to me is funny because it was through a TV advertisement. Like, I was just watching football one day. And suddenly on my TV screen at halftime comes up UCFB and it's showing me all sorts of different stadiums and the word iconic. They just kept repeating the word iconic study at our one of our iconic stadiums, global summits, etc. And they were just describing the uni and all the campuses and how all of them are literally like football stadiums. So obviously me being a major football fan, you know, that already was enough for me that sold me. So now I study at, U, uh, at UCFB Wembley and my campus is based inside Wembley Stadium. The other campuses are based in like Manchester City, Burnley and places like across the globe and stuff. My university is very new. It only opened in 2014 and it wasn't actually until the end of first year college where I decided what university I wanted to go to. But I don't remember. I remember I don't remember exactly when but i do remember having to write like personal statements and stuff that we had to send off to uni and i knew obviously then i needed to decide where these uh, where this personal statement will be going which universities they'll be sent to and i always had in mind to stay local with university it didn't really attract me or interest me the idea of studying away from home where i need to live out and i felt like ucfb was perfect it's literally a, like a 45 minute train ride I took two buses to college and my journey to college was a total of 45 minutes anyway. So having researched it, researched into like my uni further and looking at statistics and stuff, is this the, the right path for me? I read somewhere that like 90% of graduates from UCFB are in employment within six months after their graduation and two thirds work within sport. And then after that, obviously after 2014 opening Wembley, they've now got campuses across the globe in places like Melbourne, New York, Toronto, Miami, and pretty much they're all places in the world that allow you to study your favorite sport at these, what they say, iconic stadiums. That sounds amazing, Jaid. Um, I actually have a follow-up question for yourself, Jaid. A lot of viewers, they might be wondering, what is a day in the life of a UCFB student like? What do you guys get up to? Can you describe a day in the life for us? Hmm. So a day in the life. Uh, so I only actually need to go into university two days a week. And obviously, Wembley Stadium is the home of the England national team. So every time England have a game, my lecture room is moved from the stadium and they've recently opened like another building for lectures and stuff just across the stadium. 
Um, so my lectures are moved there. And two days a week, lectures and seminars. Uh, but every other day of the week is basically reading books, working on assignments, etc. cetera. Uh, but these two days are jam-packed, essentially. Like both days I start at 9 a.m. and I finish at 5 p.m. Um, but the classes are soon. There's only like 40 people in my course, roughly. And around 30 people is the most I've seen in a lecture room at once. And majority of my lectures are joint classes. For example, like one of my modules is called TV production. So my class and the sports broadcasting class, the sports broadcasting and business class, sorry, uh, they joined together for that module, which meant that there were 80 people in a lecture room at once. And that was every week from the start of uh, the year to the end of the year. And my seminars is like a maximum of 10 people. And I love my seminars because I have quite a fantastic group. And one of the seminars in my other module was joined two, and we ended up having 15 people in that seminar. But for me, having like that smaller group meant I could engage a lot more. And I'm that student who actually sits right at the front next to the lecturer's laptop, just so I don't get distracted because I get easily distracted. And sitting in the front means obviously no one can talk to me and distract me right in front of the lecturer. So it actually cancels out the opportunity for any unnecessary conversation when I'm trying to focus because lectures do tend to be very long, like 45 minutes of just sitting there taking notes is quite tough. But they do give us breaks in between to refresh ourselves. And even on Mondays, I they gave us like a four-hour break and I wanted to get that four-hour break changed because I first said to my lecturer, what am I going to do for four hours? But then afterwards, I realized that within that four-hour period, I you know it gave me the opportunity to attend like employability and enrichment webinars meetings etc et and just take some time to relax and play some table tennis or even get some uni work done and when assignments pile up four hours is definitely not a long enough time i used to do my nine to five uni shift and i wouldn't leave till about six o'clock as well sometimes just to stay on top of my uni work so yeah that's like the day in the life more towards the end of the year i guess Lovely. And uh, that leads me to ask Aman the exact same question. Aman, can you tell the viewers, yours might be a bit more interesting, actually, because, of course, you're doing an actual nine to five job. So what's a day in the life like of an EY apprentice? It's a good question, bro. Um, even I don't know myself. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> um, it's, 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 uh, it changes all the time. So with, the, with what I work in, we, could, we can work in three places, right? You can work from home. You can work in office. Or you can work on client site. Now, depending where of those three places you start, that dictates the start of your day. So for me, uh, I don't. I'm not a 5 a.m. guy who goes to the gym in the morning and runs 5k before work. Um, I'm a bit boring. I'm a bit boring. I get up at a normal time that anyone else gets up. Um, so let's say, for example, I'm going to the office, right? So for me, I'd get up uh, probably 7:30, 7:45. I'll get up, have my breakfast, um, you know, get ready for work and everything. And then I'll drive out of my house probably around 8.30, get at the office at 9, 9 o'clock because the office is also based in Luton, which is quite convenient. But Luton traffic at school time is a bit crazy, as I'm sure all the listeners will know as well. So it takes me about half an hour to get to work um, from my house. So it starts there. Um, what I usually do is in the morning, I go through all my emails um because because you get emails uh, from all sorts of people people within your firm people outside your clients um depending on what client you are you'll get different emails from various sort of clients in different industries i've got clients that work in re that are retail companies uh clients that that, that work in uh, auto automotive comp automotive industries weapon industries um so so you reply to all these emails in the morning i spend spend about half an hour on that and then uh, we sort of gather up as a group um, within your various teams and discuss the discuss the plan for the day, uh, which takes another half an hour. So around 10 o'clock, 10.30, that's when the actual work starts. So you start with the work. For the listeners that, that do know, um, I work in audit, uh, not not the best uh, finance sort of uh, area to work in, but but you gain a lot of skills. So so I start with, start with my work around 10 o'clock, 10.30, crack on till about 1 o'clock. 
um, when my lunchtime starts. Uh, again, with these with these sort of companies now, with everything moving towards flexible, uh, flexible working, lunchtime isn't really dictated. You can take it when you want. If I want to take it at twelve, I want to take it at three. I could um, usually just take about one hour, and uh, yeah. So I take a. I tend to take it around one o'clock take my lunch break if I'm in the office I might go downstairs play a bit of table tennis with some colleagues uh, we've got a PS5 in the office as well um, and yeah so we I finish off the hour like that go back upstairs sometimes throughout the day around after lunchtime is where majority of the meetings are booked so I'll have other meetings internally I'll have um, meetings with uh, again clients um, I do other things within within the firm that are extracurricular as well. So as Safe mentioned, I, I go out to the schools a lot, um, to local colleges to advocate for apprenticeships and try to recruit um, six formers uh, for the apprenticeship. So I may have calls about that. Um, I represent, uh, I'm, I'm an apprentice representative. So I represent a cohort of around a thousand apprentices uh, within the UK as well. So those calls come in quite regularly. Um, and again, client calls and various other things, catch-ups with, with managers, um, that happens throughout the day. And then again, you have to sort of fit in the actual work as well um, within all those meetings and everything, because although you might may have a day full of meetings, you're also expected um, to, to actually complete your work in that time, because at the end of the day, work is what the firm makes money off, and that is the priority. Um, so it's always important to to make sure you make time for your work, and that's where time management comes in as well, which is a huge quality needed um, in, a, in in a corporate environment. Um, so then, moving on around five o'clock, I start to clock off. If I need to uh, drop a few emails, drop a few messages to people, I tend to do that towards the end of my day, um, and I end up probably closing my laptop around five thirty. But I also have a busy season and a lot of people don't know this, especially students, college students that are in the finance world, in most of the areas, you have a busy season where, you're, where you will work uh, long hours. And audit is an area where it's probably the worst in terms of hours. So my busy season runs from January towards, these, towards mid-March. And in that time, I'm starting at 9 a.m. Um, I can finish from any time between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Um, once I done 1 a.m. as well. So that's busy season and that's about two months of the year, uh, two and a half months of the year. And, and that day is normally everything extracurricular and that in that space at that time of the year um, sort of goes out the window. You're just straight work, 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 work for the full time. And it's quite draining to be honest, but you gain a lot of skills and that, that are valuable and will help you throughout your career. And obviously you have to do it. It's not a choice. <laughs> um, and that's busy season. So that runs for about two and a half, uh, two and a half months of the year. But majority of the year, I'm, I'm clocking off around five thirty. Uh, if I'm at client side, I'll probably get home around seven. Um, but if not, I'll probably get home around six, six thirty. And then we also have like other uh, social events because obviously COVID is uh, COVID is basically done now. So a lot of social events are coming coming along. I'm actually going to one in central London tomorrow. I went to one recently as well. Um, Another big four firm, Deloitte, whose a whole big four sort of uh, reunion where all the Muslim communities got together and uh, Muslim networks got together. And it was a good sort of one of my first networking events that I went to. So I do a lot of that, that obviously outside of working hours, but still I classify it as work as well. Um, and that's it, really. Uh, that's the sort of a day in the life. Yeah, Aman, that's that's amazing. And it sounds like you have very busy days, very, very busy days. It's, it's yeah. definitely, you know, very insightful for any of our second year students aiming to start an apprenticeship, you know, next year. Uh, so if, if you, to the listeners out there, this is what a level seven uh, apprenticeship, you know, the, the day in the life, this is what it looks like. And that leads me to my next question, which is to yourself, Jaid. Um, you know, often we see young people, they can't enter their dream universities or like Aman, you know, he was, he was one of the lucky ones and well, as well deserved as it is. There's a lot of young people who face uncertainty about the future. They can't enter their universities. They can't enter their apprenticeships. What advice would you give to those young people? The advice I would probably give. Um, so this is the advice I, I give to myself every time, every day I wake up for university. Just remind yourself why you went 
like speak to people I, I i love speaking to people about how i'm feeling or what feelings i have towards something i would say just speak to people who care about you or you know to want the best for your well-being and they'll give you the best advice like brothers cousins even maybe old school teachers you can just drop them an email and you can you know they'll, they'll get back to you you can talk to them and essentially just remember that everyone obviously has a goal and you're not going to be able to jump towards that goal you have to take small steps towards that goal and that small step may be obviously taking you removing your blanket putting your clothes on and heading into london for university on a rainy rainy day just for like a lecture that's going to be about three hours and for me even at university we often see like graduates coming in and out and like at university me and my friends we just we just look at each other when we see these graduates and we just look at each other and think that's got to be us one day and it drives well especially me it drives me every single time i attend my lectures or work in my assignments or even submit my assignments it just reminds me that that's got to be me one day where my parents are proud of me and it just again by the start of second year uni to the end of second year uni going into my third year of uni it just reminds me why i started all of this and where i want to be it's interesting that you mentioned <clears throat> the idea of goal setting here you know oftentimes when i speak to young people the one thing that i notice is that um this concept of goal setting a lot of the young people out there their goals are very fuzzy meaning that they haven't specified you know their goals their sh- the goals are not sharp nor clear and i always say to them if you don't know what you're aiming at, you are never going to hit the target. And it's like driving a car and not knowing, you know, what your destination is going to be. So I always say to my students, to my mentees, to specify your goals to begin with. You have a big target. You want to become a, a huge apprentice. Uh, you want to enter a level seven apprenticeship. Uh, you want to go into the top university. But that's a very big goal in itself. There's very micro, there's other micro routines and schedules that you're going to have to employ on a day-to-day basis. Split that big goal into chunks of daily targets, weekly targets, monthly targets that you need to attain in order to to maximize uh, the the idea of you achieving that goal. And that leads me to my next question to you, Aman. What do you think are some practical ways that students can now set these academic goals other than splitting them down into smaller chunks? What else can they do? So I'll firstly, let's say I want to do something, wherever it may be, look at myself as a person, look at my skills, number one, look at my qualifications. Yeah. Look at my passion to do it, my why to do it. Yeah. So passion and why sort of come into the same same bracket. Um, and what, what values are you going to add to me? Those five things or four things, what, what, what is it going to actually bring to me in my life? What, what am I going to gain from it? So I, I look at those things before setting a goal. And then once you go through those things, for example, when you look at yourself and you look at your qualifications, those two things in particular, be ambitious. I 100% agree with being ambitious with, with your goals, but also I think it's very important. And, and this sort of gets swayed on the side a lot. Um, it's also be realistic as well. Okay, not necessarily saying to the listeners that just accept how you are and move on and don't change things. Of course, change things. But for me, I think anyway that there's there's a degree of, you know, there's, there's a fine line where you, where you have to draw the line and say, okay, fine, am I wasting too much time on this? Because I'm giving an example of my thing where in college, I studied maths, physics and economics. Physics, I, I studied specifically because I wanted to do engineering at university. I wanted you to be a structural engineer. That was my passion from, from high school. And then I sat three weeks of A-level physics. Um, and I realized, okay, this is A-level physics. Um, and I, 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 I you know, listened to stories of people who studied A-level physics and gone on to do university-level physics and, and studied engineering and have become successful engineers. And I found out their story. I found out their backgrounds and how hard they actually worked for that. And I thought to myself, am I really going to spend nine hours a day revising for two years? I mean, as great as it is, people out there have that passion. And, and, you know, I envy those people as well. It's amazing. But I know myself, I can't do that. So why am I going to be fake to myself and say to myself, I'll do it and then do it for three weeks and then later on just, you know, fall back on it. Uh, So I think in a sense, you have to be realistic with your goals. Um, 
uh, and and that's for me the most important most important thing and bring your passion into it and, and obviously look at yourself as a person and because it's such an open-ended question there bro i think that's that's the answer i'm going to give you uh, thank you for your response, bro. I really liked how you referred, uh, you slightly referred to the concept of smart targets. And, you know, this is something that I advocate to my students. Even if you don't know where you are headed in your life, just sit down, write about your academic goals, write about your future pathways that you want to undertake. Because essentially what it does is that it places you in a much better position than you would have been at had you had not worked towards that goal. You know, it's about shooting, you know, what's the saying? They say a shot for the moon landed above the stars, something along those lines. So something that I advocate to my students is the idea of a smart target, smart target, making your goals specific, making them measurable, making them achievable, realistic, you know, something which is within your potential. <laughs> something that I come across a lot is students watching three episodes of Ertugo Law Osman and then coming to me and telling me that safe, let's make a state. You know, I always say, uh, relax, let's start off with our beds first. Let's make our beds first thing in the morning. Then we'll worry about making khilafas and caliphates. So the idea is make your goals realistic. And then lastly, set a deadline on your goals, set a deadline on achieving these goals. Uh, actually, one other thing that I'd like to mention, and this is a technique that I use with my sort of mentees and students, is to write about the complete opposite of, you know, goal setting. So when I'm mentoring students, I tell them to write about the consequences of any inaction, meaning that, for example, if you have a test coming up and you're not revising as of right now, what's going to happen? The consequence of your action is going to be that you won't do well in the test. If you don't do well in the test, you're not going to do, eventually, if you carry on with that behavior, you're not going to do well in your GCSEs. If you don't do well in your GCSEs, you're, you're going to find it hard to do the subjects at A-levels. And what you basically, the idea is you get them to think about the consequences of every inaction that they take. And what it does is that it helps them to understand that in order to attain a good standard of living later on in their lives or a subjectively good quality of life, you will have to put in the work. So we will end the show on that note today. Thank you to the listeners. I hope you found some value in the first half of the show and in the second half of the show. We will leave it at that. I ask you guys to take care of yourselves and keep us in your du'as and in your prayers. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org? And follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.